Support for Market Foolery comes from our identity protection friends at MyID Care. The massive data breach that occurred this past September puts you at risk. So join the more than 25 million Americans who rely on MyID Care for identity protection. Get started today by visiting myidcare.com/fool and save 15%. It's Monday, November 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here, guys. Happy to. Short week last week because we had Foolapalooza, our annual meeting, which we'll we'll delve into that in a moment. But we, the news rolls on. We it got never stops. We got tech <laughs> news. We've got industrial news. We're going to start with toy news. Shares of Mattel up 21 percent this morning. Wall Street Journal reporting that rival toy maker Hasbro has made a takeover offer. As of this taping, Jason, we still don't have the details of the <laughs> offer. Here's what we know: the takeover offer has happened. Mattel's up 21 percent, and Hasbro's up six percent. So there's at least some optimism that Hasbro isn't making some insane overpayment for Mattel. You follow this industry. What did you think of this news? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised to see the news because, I mean, when you look at the two businesses, clearly they are headed in very different directions. And and um, Hasbro has has been succeeding and doing so well here over the past few years, and that's really come um, at at Mattel's expense. I mean, if you're if you're Mattel management right now. Uh, you have to be looking at this as really probably the best case scenario, and I don't know that there is any other um, scenario for, for this company that, that results in wins for shareholders. And um, you, you have Mattel that is just clearly a, a company in a position of weakness, and that didn't happen overnight, right? I mean, honestly, this was set up by former leadership. I think Brian Stockton was a bigger part of the problem, probably, you know. Some people would like to admit, but he was he was fired for a reason. I mean, and it was even a question as to whether he was fired initially. Uh, but but oh, they, they right. actually did come out and say, no, he was fired. <laughs> you know, he just he wasn't getting it done. And uh, I mean, there was a culture problem with the company. Certainly, it, it, it seemed that they were failing to innovate at a pace uh, which kept them up with sort of the changes that technology has has implemented on the market. And I mean, I, I'm not saying it's easy, right? I mean, it's not. Clearly, it's not. But that's what you get paid the big bucks for. And if you can't do it, then you need to step aside. Um, you know, Conversely, when you look at Hasbro, I mean, they have really uh, been investing a lot in, in sort of finding new ways to uh, leverage their IP, their toy properties through partners like Disney. Um, I, I think that really the loss of that Disney Deal from Mattel was sort of the beginning of the end. If this deal happens, that's great. Honestly, though, the thing is, I I'm, I really am not convinced that Hasbro needs this headache. I mean, at the end of the day, it gives them some valuable properties, some valuable brands. But I mean, Mattel is a mess of a company. I mean, there there are culture problems, there are financial problems. I mean, there's a point now where this debt is you can't ignore it i mean operating income doesn't even cover their interest expense uh, three times over at this point so it, it could be a lot of headaches if, if hasbro decides to take this on yeah and this is one space we really like in stock advisor canada we just recommended uh, quasi competitor spinmaster which owns brands such as paw patrol air hogs they go out and create the the TV shows and the movies, and then the characters and the games to go along with it. Um, also, owners of Etch a Sketch and Uno for some throwback games. But uh, 
you, you're going to keep growing the imagination of these kids, trying to compete with iPads and things like that. But certainly a long tail uh, trend that we're big fans of. And in the Canadian market, we've chosen to go with Spinmaster uh, in that regard. This move by Hasbro doesn't surprise me. It would surprise me if it was the reverse, just because uh, Margot Georgiatis, who's the CEO at Mattel, she got there in January. Mm-hmm. And everything I've read about her uh, just sort of struck me as, okay, this is, a, this is certainly an upgrade in the corner office at Mattel. And I just figured, give her at least a year, maybe even two years before you, as we would any CEO. So, if this was a move by by her and her board, that would surprise me. I think Hasbro is smart to make this move now in this regard, that they might look at her and think, hey, before she gets a chance to really impact the culture <laughs> yeah. and improve things and turn it around, this might be the weakest point they're going to get as long as she there she's there. So let's go now. Yeah, and, and I mean she comes from Google, so she has certainly I think positive exposure on the culture side. Certainly the tech background that could help Mattel at this point. So yeah, I think you're right in that uh, they're looking at Mattel right now as a company that is. Uh, down but not out, and and it doesn't mean that they can't turn this around. Again, they do have some popular brands out there, uh, but they have put themselves in a bit of a bind uh, financially. And 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 again, when you look at, I mean, this is a business that is one hundred percent levered to the consumer in a retail environment that is just really scary right now. And and they have they they have not made the investments in technology that they've needed to make, uh, whereas Hasbro has. Um, so again, yeah, I think Hasbro is probably looking at Mattel, seeing a company in a position of weakness. They certainly, Mattel management needs to look at this from all angles and try to consider what's best for the company and its shareholders. And this very well may be the best option. John Flannery has been the CEO of General Electric for about an hour and a half, and at the company's <laughs> Investor Day conference on Monday. Boy, did he make headlines. He called, I mean, you take your pick, Taylor. He called 2018 a reset year, mm-hmm. said there's going to be broad corporate restructuring, and oh, by the way, cut the dividend by 50%. And that, as much as anything, is why shares of GE are down 5% today for a company of that size. That's a really big move. Yeah, not a lot of whittling, just a lot of axe wielding <laughs> at that meeting. Uh, like you mentioned, the dividend cut 50%, down from $0.24 cents a share to 12 so now yielding below 3% at the current price, and um, announced that it's basically going to become a business geared around power, aviation, and healthcare. So you're looking at some of the biggest businesses that they own, uh, especially that new Baker Hughes joint venture, which they own 62.5% of. Um, that might be one of the last businesses that they'd try to sell off, but you're looking at transportation, that's going to be gone. Lighting, gone. Industrial solutions already um, being sold to ABB, that we talked about that on the show a few weeks back when that was announced. So just a huge. When sea change for this company, um, led by the power business, which is around 28% of the revenues. But as you mentioned, 2018 reset year because they still see weakness in that power division. And to to help char- uh, change that around, he's already axed most of the leadership in that division. And uh, along with deciding to whittle down the board from 18 to 12 members, um, bringing on some folks from Tryon, the, the activist investor that's been involved with uh, GE for some time now. So yeah, big changes and uh, leaving healthcare, which I had read. Some people thought that might be one of the divisions that they that they announced were going to be parted out. But uh, that's the one that Flannery is most intimately connected with because that's where he spent his time prior to being CEO. So 
Um, I, I've got confidence in the business once they announce how they're going to restructure this, but um, it definitely needed to get smaller in my mind. I don't know if this is going to work, Jason, but you got to give the guy credit for not sitting on his hands. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it, right? I think uh, there. I, I love the long-term tailwinds in aviation, power, and healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, those yep. are big market opportunities that are going to continue to be big market opportunities for some time. And I, I've said it before. I think that John Flannery is GE's Alan Mulally. I mean, he is coming in here and, and getting stuff done. And, I mean, that was his mandate, right? I mean, I, I, I really do believe this. In five years, we'll look back, and this will be more, I think, apparent. But I think that John Flannery has created more value in, in three months for this company than Jeff Immel did in 17 years. And, I mean, that, that really, I think, is a testament to, to how asleep at the wheel Jeff Immel was. He took this, this big Company, this this recognized brand with with a lot of financial resources, and just tried to do too many things, and he didn't really do anything well. And so I think that really Flannery is trying to get back to basics here, whittle this company down a little mm-hmm. bit, focus on doing what they can do really well. And uh, yeah, it's easy to sit there and, and, and rag on the fact that he cut the dividend in half, and, and, and just kill him on the fact that uh, you know they they cut that earnings estimate I think in half basically. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's got to happen, right? The first step is admitting the problem, then the second step is taking actions to rectify it, and that's what he's doing. And and I I applaud him for it. Yeah, you could prolong this solution for 17 more years if you really wanted to, because they certainly have the business power to stay around for that long um, and sell off something if they needed to. But yeah, I I agree. I've been waiting for something like this to happen for a couple of years as a shareholder, and all it took was a new CEO to come in and totally change the trajectory of this company. So, from the standpoint of General Electric stock, Mm -hmm. it is now at a five year low. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about was the classic Warren Buffett line, be fearful when others are greedy, be greedy when others are fearful. It seems like with GE stock there's a lot of fear and I'm wondering with the stock at a 5-year low if the, if now is the time for investors and I'll include myself in this camp who have never not only never owned GE, have never really considered owning GE. Mm-hmm. And I look at it now and I think, boy, how cheap is this stock because if five years from now Flannery's plan has worked, then this is the time to buy. It sure is. I mean, if they're going <laughs> to if they're going to do a buck a share in earnings this year, then yeah. you're essentially looking at something that's trading in that 18, 19, 20 times um, earnings. And, and you would probably think for a company that just slashed its earnings guidance and its dividend by by half, mm-hmm. that that probably is expensive. And maybe it is. But again, I think that. Uh, I mean, this is a big jockey play, I think, in that you know Flannery obviously has to get in there and actually prove himself. I think that there is a lot in place for him to succeed, given GE's history, its financial resources, its presence. Uh, so, I mean, from that perspective, hey, listen, I think five years from now you're looking at a stock that is considerably higher than where it is right now. And if it's not, it's because Flannery didn't do his job well. And, we're only going to know that in hindsight, unfortunately. Yeah. I'll be holding my shares. <laughs> I want to say thanks again to our ID protection friends at My ID Care. Uh, you guys remember that uh, little story I think we talked about uh, back in September? A little little thing we like to call the massive data breach at Equifax. <laughs> it exposed personal information for more than half of the U.S. adult population, including our good friend and colleague Ron Gross. Likely, some of your sensitive and valuable personal information was compromised in the breach. Hackers seized names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, even 
some driver's license information. Well, my ID care covers all types of identity theft, from medical ID theft to child identity theft. They've got you covered, and you can enroll today to get credit and dark web monitoring, $1 million worth of insurance, and a 100% success rate restoring identities. Join the more than 25 million Americans who depend on My ID Care for protection. Get 15% off just by visiting myidcare.com/fool. That's myidcare.com/fool. As I mentioned last Thursday and Friday was the Motley Fool's annual meeting. We had uh, two days of looking at our own business. Uh, had some some great uh, external speakers, including uh, Dan Heath. Uh, who's a best-selling author with his brother Chip, and they have a new book out. And we're actually going to be running part of that uh, interview with Dan Heath on Motley Fool Money this coming weekend. Jenny Abramson, who I did not know at all, she is the founder of a VC firm in Washington, D.C. called Rethink Impact, and such an incredibly smart woman and it was just it was just so great to hear from her um, but you know the news doesn't stop just because we have our annual meeting and one of the news stories that caught our attention that we wanted to address because it's still making news is Roku because last week Roku th- last Thursday Roku came out with their first quarterly report as a public company and they did a lot better than anyone was expecting uh, sales were better than expected they still reported a loss but it was narrower than Wall Street was expecting. And while the stock popped about 50% on Thursday, Jason, it's continued to rise. It's up, I think, another 14% today. It has almost doubled since the close of the market last Wednesday. Well, it is all about setting the, the appropriate expectations. <laughs> so, it, I mean, is this, is this a situation where you think a lot of analysts just sort of lumped Roku in with other Young public companies, companies that IPO'd in 2017, like Snap and Blue Apron, and just thought, "Wow, they're not a complete dumpster." Like, is it is it that it or because it seems like there there might be legitimate reasons for optimism. Um, okay, so yeah, I don't I don't want to take anything away from their quarter or the business. I mean, I think generally speaking, like it was a good quarter. Uh, they they. Certainly, bested expectations, and I can see why investors were thrilled with that because we've been dealing with IPOs like Snap and Blue Apron that have been nothing but just basically trips straight downhill since they IPO'd. I I, I want to be careful though with Roku because I mean it's it's not like this is just uh, as clear as can be. Oh, we missed it. We should invest in this business. I mean, don't don't make that leap yet. Like it was a good quarter. It was a good it was a good report. Again, it it was you got to take it all sort of in context there. And and, and expectations matter. I think a lot of this has to do, honestly, with just the fact that this has this is a stock that has such a small float out there on the market. Um, only only about seventeen and a half million shares floating on the open market right now. So it's very very low float. And as of October thirty first, it had a very high short interest. I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of about a third of the shares out. That helps, <laughs> right? And so I mean, when you have that, like the the fact that there are so few shares out there trading, the fact that so many were shorted. I mean, it just it sets these pops up. Now, with so that you got said, a bunch of people shorting who said, you know what? I'm out of this one. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, when you have that along with probably, you know, a number of people that sort of see this report and they think, hey, there's one IPO that's actually doing it right, let's jump on in. I mean, it can really sort of compound, compound that effect on, on the high side. And that's fine. Uh, 
when you look at Roku and you look at the way the business is set up, what their mission, their mission is to be this, the TV streaming platform that connects the entire TV ecosystem. Now, that is a lofty goal. And I'm not saying that they can't do that. But primarily, the way the business has gotten to where it is today is by selling those Roku TV devices. Mm-hmm. And they've done pretty well. Um, but but when you look at it compared to Amazon, Google, and Apple collectively, I mean, Amazon, Google, and Apple collectively have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50% share of those actual streaming devices versus Roku, which is something like 5%. Now, the flip side is that Roku is also powering a lot of these TVs themselves, so it goes beyond the device, and it's, it's actually in the TV. Um, but that said, I mean, they are getting into a very difficult business here. I mean, it's fine to want to be the TV streaming uh, platform that connects the entire ecosystem, but you've got Apple, Google, and Amazon out there that are doing the same thing Mm -hmm. with business models that are far more diverse and far more mature as well. Um, and, And if Roku gets stuck in the sort of cycle of having to invest in original content, well, we know how expensive that is because we've seen Hulu and Netflix doing the same things. Successfully, I would add. And Amazon as well. And Amazon, exactly. And so, I mean, they're doing it successfully, but it costs a lot of money to do. And so, I'm just not sure how much leeway the market gives Roku on that end. Uh, ARPU, average uh, revenue per user, is the metric they're going to use to basically dictate (laughs) their success. So, we'll want to pay attention to that. Very much uh, active user accounts matters. And so, when when you look at this business and try to analyze how well it's doing, we're going to see that ARPU metric. We're going to see how many active accounts they have. That's going to give us a good idea. But but I think you got to sort of you got to watch this one. One quarter does not make this a good investment. Yeah, when you talked about them becoming embedded in the TVs, they've got partnerships with Philips and Hitachi and Sharp, but and more. But just because they're embedded in the TV doesn't mean anyone's actually going to be using it. Yeah, they still have to use that service because there's a lot of things that come embedded in your TVs nowadays that either you just don't realize they're there or you have a better option. And it's still, in my mind, hard to beat the Amazon Fire Stick, especially with everything that comes along with it. If you're a Prime member with free music, free TV, free free movies, um, all for this price of a stick and seventy nine dollars or ninety nine dollars a year. So I mean, it's a lot of competition out there. Um, from one of the biggest, most well-known companies in the world, and the TV has certainly been redefined here in the last mm-hmm. decade, right? I mean, the TV is 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 a much different thing. I mean, you've got a TV in your pocket, right? Yeah. I mean, probably I'd be willing to bet that the average house has fewer TVs, traditional TV sets today, than it did maybe even five years ago. Um, and so remember back in the day when they think 3D television sets were going to be the next um, rage, mm-hmm. and that fell that flat on its out? face <laughs> in prompt order because it just you look at that and you think, well, how many people are actually looking for that? But also the fact that TVs now are more than just TV sets; they're tablets, they're phones. Um, so it just it just it's a very difficult market, um, and for a young business like Roku. Uh, they have a lot of a lot of work to do against some very very formidable competition. Mm-hmm. Jason Moser, Taylor Ruckerman, thanks for being here, guys. Cheers, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.